What is up, everyone? Welcome to There Can Only Be One, the podcast that puts together the all-star best of of your favorite musicians. Now, it seems fitting that since we started this podcast many, many months ago, talking about one of the big four, we kind of have to work our way through. So let's deal with the biggest of the big four, and that's Metallica. And joining me to go down this road from my weekly mixtape and playlist wars, Brian Colbert is back. Brian, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I am doing great, man. Thank you so much for having me on for this one because Metallica is just one of my favorite bands of all time. And I am really excited to go down this rabbit hole with you tonight. Oh, and there is a lot to go through here, but I'm just going to ask you right now, because I know a lot of our musical experiences when it comes to bands and songs and whatnot comes from live. So I will ask you, how many times have you seen Metallica live so far? I am closing in, I want to say on 10 times, uh, and this summer I will be seeing them twice because they are doing the New York show where they're playing both Friday and Sunday night. So I get to see a no-repeat weekend from them, which hopefully, even though I've seen them 10 times, I have never seen them perform Blackened before. So that is on my wish list because they have been playing it overseas, and I am hoping they bring it to the States because that is the one song I need to check off my live Metallica bucket list. And I've seen some special shows. I saw the live covers only show from the Roseland ballroom where they had a Metallica cover band open and then Metallica did nothing but covers. It aired on MTV. I saw the S and M concert when they did the one off at Madison square garden. So I've seen some special Metallica shows through the years and I'm looking forward to because it has been since the Death Magnetic Tour since I've seen them. So I'm really excited about it. See, I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm a little behind because I have only seen Metallica live twice. And both times, I'm sure my ears were already deafened because of the night before. And I was pretty tired. Let, let me explain here. So I caught them. The first time I ever saw them live was on the Summer Sanitarium Tour at the Sky Dome, now the Rogers Center. Got there the day after going to see Queensryche with Dream Theater and Fate's Warning up in Barrie the night before. So, you know, going from concert to concert, ears are a little deafened. And the Rogers Center, while it's a great place to see a baseball game, not exactly the best place if the roof is closed to, to see a live show. But the show was great. Oh, yeah. The second time was at Rock on the Range. It was the last day of that, that festival. So you're, you're going to be tired by the time you get to that point as well. So... Just know I need to see Metallica with, you know, fresh ears and fresh eyes eventually when they come back to Toronto. But that being said, we have a lot to get through because we are about to go through 15 Metallica studio albums. We will not be covering any live albums. So that means we're not dealing with the live Benjamin Birds box set. We're not dealing with S&M and any other live albums. We're also skipping the Blackest collection because while they're Metallica songs... It's not exactly Metallica doing them, and we're not doing any best of or compilations. So that includes the uh, the some kind of monster soundtrack or the through the never soundtrack. Uh, we're also not going to be covering the songs that were only on soundtracks where they were not the primary artist. So I disappear from the Mission Impossible Two soundtrack would not qualify. However, we are going to start at the beginning, and that is Kill 'Em All. At this point, the band is James Hetfield, Lars Ulrich, Cliff Burton, and Kirk Hammond, although a number of the songs on the album were co-written by Dave Mustaine. 
The album was released July 25th, 1983 and hit number 66 in the U.S. It is three times platinum in the U.S. and platinum in Australia and Canada. And there were two singles off of this album. Jump in the Fire actually hit number 30 in New Zealand. Now, we also have some shout outs throughout the show. So, you know, we will be getting to them throughout. So thank you to all of you who shouted out and put some songs in there from Twitter and from Spoutable. Kevin Hackett and Sean Faust both went with Whiplash off of this album, and Coach Fisher went with Seek and Destroy. So, Brian, I'm going to give the floor to you. Kill them all. What have you got? Well, I'm going to start by saying that I had the 1988 Electra reissue on CD. That was my first taste of Metallica Kill Em All because it's not the first, it's not the album that got me into the band. My cousins introduced me to Metallica between Ride the Lightning and Master of Puppets, but the album that I truly discovered the band on was And Justice for All. And then I kind of went backwards and re-fell in love with the two I just mentioned and then went back and got Kill Em All as well. So the version I had had the covers Am I Evil and Blitzkrieg from the Garage Days Revisited album, which is also both of those songs can be found on Garage Inc., which we'll talk about later. But I'm going to kick things off. I'm a sucker for opening tracks. And one thing Metallica has done throughout their career is started off every album with a fantastic track. And I could honestly just give you track ones all night long tonight and be perfectly content with it. I might not do that, but for now I am. I am starting off with the song that kicked off Metallica's discography, Hit the Lights. Let's start this thing up at 100 miles an hour, full throttle, take no prisoners. This is thrash Metallica at its finest. And as much love as I have for songs like The Four Horsemen and Whiplash and then being a bass player, Cliff Burton's Anesthesia Pulling Teeth, which is just a gorgeous bass solo. One of the first things I learned to do on bass when I first got my bass. I'm going to go with the song that kicks it all off, Hit the Lights. Absolutely killer song, whether you hear it on the CD or whether you hear it live. I didn't go with that one, though. I ended up agreeing with Coach Fisher and going with Seek and Destroy, mainly because... For, for me, songs always come to life live. And when it comes to their full discography, Seek and Destroy is one of those songs that not only does it have a great groove, but it's one of those great call and answer songs. And when a band nails that, you know, when you've got those call and answer sections where the audience knows and they're revved for that moment, it, it, it just, it turns a show into an event, into a spectacle. Seek and Destroy does that absolutely every single time it's hard though because i mean like this album is tough all the way through like this is your debut album and it slays front to back a hundred percent agree this is a this shows that metallica was taking no prisoners from day one and you could hear the foundation for why they will become the biggest metal band of all time on this album oh absolutely and, you know, the, the fact that this is truly the beginning of the thrash era and starts it off with a bang. Absolutely. We now move on to Ride the Lightning, released July 27th, 1984. The album hit number 48 in the U.S. and number nine in Finland. It is six times platinum in the U.S. and platinum in Australia, Canada, and Germany. 
There was one song off of this, Creeping Death, hit number 117 in the UK. Going to social media, Coach Fisher and Sean Faust both went with For Whom the Bell Tolls, and Kevin Hackett went with Creeping Death. Brian, Ride the Lightning, what have you got? This is a really tough one for me because I absolutely love For Whom the Bell Tolls. I love the title track, Ride the Lightning, and the band starts my love of their instrumentals with the Call of Cthulhu. However, I am going to agree with Kevin and go with Creeping Death as my choice for tonight. And the reason being, this song, you, you talk about the call and response. When I saw them live the first time, 20,000 people were just chanting die during the breakdown. It was just one of those moments where I'm like, oh my God, I'm in my element here. This is unbelievable because we're just as much a part of this song as the band on stage. And it really hit home with me. And this song is also special because I went to a Catholic high school and my favorite religion teacher, and there's a reason why she's my favorite, is because of one class, one day my junior year she brought in a cassette deck put it down on her desk and she said we're going to be doing bible studies today with a little bit of a twist and everybody in the class kind of groaned and she pulled out a passage and she read it then she hit play and started playing creeping death and she started tying the song into passages from the bible and it was the greatest religion class I had ever sat through in my entire life. I went up to her at the end of class and said, you are so awesome for playing some Metallica in a religion class. And she goes, I want to try to keep your attention. I said, well, attention has been gotten because I never forgot that class some 30 something years later. And the song again, just holds up. It's an amazing track. It's one of their staples. It, it It's tough because some songs almost become tough to call out because they're so universally beloved in the Metallica catalog. You almost want to pick out a different cut to try to like mix things up. But this song, you have to talk about at some point. So I'm going with creeping death. I love the fact that you can have a teacher, a religion teacher, no less get it. Absolutely get it and connect with their students. I love that. Also, only on a music podcast about a metal band can you sit there and say, I was in an arena with a bunch of people shouting, die, 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 and I was in my element. And have <laughs> it be true. okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you put it, you pointed out the Call of Cthulhu. Um, first of all, Ride the Lightning, I think, is the Metallica album I have played more than any other album in their entire discography. This may actually be my absolute favorite Metallica album. So it's this this one was so tough for me. But I remember Call of Cthulhu being just one of those ones where you close your eyes and you try to envision everything that you know that it could be. Like if this was in a movie, what would that movie look like? That maybe it's just me being a video editor and that's kind of how I visualize some of these things. Call of Cthulhu got a lot of play, but it's not the song I went with. If I'm ever at a show and I want to raise the horns, I'm hoping and praying that trapped under ice is on nice. the set list. And, you know, it's not, it's not the song that starts the album, but Oh my God, like again, another one of those songs where you hear it and your immediate response is to turn up the volume. And there's a lot of Metallica like that. This album 
you know, at, even though it's not the fullest mix, obviously, like when you get to the Bob Rock produced albums, you get a much more fuller, like fill the audio spectrum mix. But the, the songwriting on this album is just so good. But whatever it is about Trapped Under Ice, and sometimes you can't quite put your finger on it. That song to me, every time I hear it, turn the sta- turn the stereo up. Completely agree. It's a fantastic track, and it is truly an underrated Metallica track. I know they play it, but they don't play it as much as stuff like For Whom the Bell Tolls, Fade the Black. Even the Call of Cthulhu, I've heard more than Trapped Under Ice live. So, Oh, and Call of Cthulhu, I think, is probably... You know, and, and coming from a bassist, this is saying a lot. I think Call of Cthulhu is their best instrumental, period. Ooh, that's tough. That's tough for me. That's really tough because Orion from the next album we're about to talk about, it, to me, is like neck and neck with it. They're both fantastic. I, I think it's because for me, Call of Cthulhu is the most, for lack of a better term, um, lends itself more to cinematography and to, and to visualizing. Yes, 100% agree, whereas Anesthesia from Kill 'Em All is just more of a, dare I call it, glorified bass solo, but I mean, we're talking about Cliff Burton here, so there was nothing glorified about it. He truly was a -a one-of-a-kind bass player, and the musicality that came out of that song, it it was basically like a guitar solo done on bass. It was just such a wonderful track. Not glorified, just glorious. Amen. We now move on to Master of Puppets, released March 3rd, 1986. The album hit number 29 in the U.S. and number 7 in Finland. It is six times platinum in the U.S. and Canada and platinum in Australia, Britain, Germany, New Zealand, and Finland. There was one single off of this one, Master of Puppets, the title track, hit number 18 on the mainstream rock charts. Now, Sean Faust picked Orion, or Damage. I get it. It's a it's a hard album to pick one. And then Coach Fisher and Kevin Hackett picked the, the title track, Master of Puppets. Brian, Master of Puppets, what's on your list? Ooh, this one is ridiculously tough. I Obviously, I love the title track. I like the title track before Stranger Things made it a thing again. Okay, I just want to put that out there. The Things That Should Not Be, amazing song. Primus did a great cover of it. Welcome Home, Sanitarium, amazing song. Orion, amazing. Here's the thing. Metallica knows how to start an album. I think I said this before, and I'll say it again. And on Master of Puppets, they showed that they can end an album with Damage Incorporated. So I'm going to do a real scientific approach to choosing this. I've got a quarter in my hand right here, and I'm going to flip it and... Looks like I am going to agree with Sean Faust and go with Damage Incorporated. Literally flipping a coin between that and Battery because I think it's tied for the most powerful opening closing to a Metallica album ever. And by a flip of a coin, Damage Incorporated gets my vote over Battery. I love both songs. So you're going with the end track. And I'm going to take a cue from you and go back to the beginning of the album and go with battery. A song blisters. But mm-hmm. but that opening guitar intro. Like Metallica, obviously, you know, you know them for the thrash, you know them for like, you know, James Hetfield's like monster downpicking. Like everything they do. Kirk Hammond in a wah pedal is a marriage made in heaven. But the musicality when they when they get quieter 
it, it's it just goes to show how good they are just as musicians period but battery you know you get you get lulled into that intro right it's nice it's soft you know the great little you know it's almost like sweet picking on the guitar and then they turn it to 12 not 11 they turn it to 12 it's the song is a speed ticket waiting to happen Will not argue that in the slightest. I absolutely love the track. I literally flipped a coin. To me, Battery and Damage Incorporated have that same mentality. So to choose between one or the other, I do like the beginning because it really eases you into this full-on assault. But for me, coming out of Orion, Damage Incorporated does the same thing as well on an album listen. So it, it kind of the dynamics at play in this album really shouldn't be overlooked because everyone thinks about, oh, this is when Metallica was thrashed. This is when they were heavy. Make no mistake, they knew how to speed things up and slow it down. People forget that there are songs like Fade to Black and Sanitarium where the band knew how to take it down and then bring it back up. So it wasn't just 30 minutes of a metal assault. There was moments in the album where they were taking you on these journeys between the thrash and other parts. So... When we talk about albums like Load and Reload later on and people act like they came out of left field, I said no because I feel like the groundwork was already laid on these earlier albums. While not full complete songs, you even think about the breakdown in the title track of Master of Puppets. It's a slower melodic guitar solo. And when you hear some of the slower stuff they do on later albums, I don't feel like it was a huge departure from that. And I know that's going to be a controversial statement, but there it is. You have to absolutely love this album. Again, like when you think about this, right, your first three albums out of the gate and all of them, like you could go from cover cover of, of, of album one to end cover of album three. And it's just, it's killer all the way through the, like some bands it's almost like they have enough magic sauce for like a couple of really really good songs to stand the test of time three albums in a row every song special sauce on everything 100 percent. we now move on to garage days revisited and depending on what format you're on it's either the 598 ep or the 998 cd released august 21st 1987 this is the first album with jason newstead on bass Listed as Master J New Kid. The album hit number 18 in the US and is platinum. I'm I'm gonna jump on this one first, if that's okay. Sure. When it comes to, and we talked about this earlier on, when it comes to Metallica and Live, like there there's just no better avenue to hear some of these songs. And the first time I heard them cover Last Caress was on the live binge and purge CD box set. And it kills. It's it's short. It's fast. It's great. And you find yourself singing along. And it's one, it's one of those things where I was not the biggest Glenn Danzig fan until you start to realize, okay, so Metallica did this song and then Metallica covers them later on in their career. It's like, okay, maybe I need to really, really deep dive into this kind of thing. So the fact that you have the you know a, a covers EP like this a, it's a great way to break in a basis, but B, it introduces you to songs that you may not have necessarily sought out otherwise. Last Caress hooked me from Live Binge and Purge, and it still sounds great on the studio release. But what have you got off of Garage Days Revisited? Well, we missed the mark by a coin flip 
on Master of Puppets, but we are in lockstep on the 998 CD. I'll go with CD. I also chose Last Caress, Green Hell, the track five on that. But I want to point out first that this EP introduced me to Diamond Head, Killing Joke, Budgie. I knew who the Misfits were and Holocaust. I didn't know those first four songs. And it's an EP like this that made me go back and look into these bands. And I'm thankful for that because I would not have known them had it not been for Metallica introducing me to them. The reason I chose Last Caress, I talked about that MTV covers only Metallica show that my cousin and I saw back in the 90s when Garage Inc. came out. And they played the first hour and then James Hetfield's on the stage going, are we are we off? Are we off the air? Are you sure? Like, please tell me now, if we are still on the air, there's about to be a problem. And he got the green light and they blasted into Last Caress, Green Hell, and So What? And right there was one of the most insane mosh pits I've ever been in in my life. It was pure pandemonium. And this song always sticks out for me. I love The Misfits. I love Danzig. If you listen to Danzig's self-titled album, there's a little guy named James Hetfield doing background vocals on Twist of Cain. Not a lot of people know that. If you, I was so busy reading liner notes as a kid, I kind of found out information like that to share with my buddies before you could just look it up on the internet. But this album to me is so fantastic. It really is one of those underrated covers albums because most covers albums play the songs that you know, kind of redone by the band. These were all songs from bands that weren't massive in the U.S. So it really was. I don't think I'm alone by saying I was introduced to some of these artists and going back to like Am I Evil and Blitzkrieg from the Kill 'Em All, Garage Days Revisited and Garage Inc. albums. Those songs as well introduced me to bands I had not heard before. So I love this concept. I really hope there's another Garage Inc. in the band to be perfectly honest oh that would be so so good and i'd be curious too because obviously between this and garage inc you got jason newstead in the mix and you have to think that you know everyone kind of got their say into what songs ended up on the album i'd be curious what robert trujillo and what songs that he would actually try and add into the mix on a metallica covers album definitely we now move on to Potentially the album that kind of broke it mainstream, and that is And Justice for All. Released September 7th, 1988. It hit number six in the U.S. and top ten in six other countries. It is eight times platinum in the U.S., triple platinum in Canada, double platinum in Australia and Germany, and platinum in Britain, Finland, Norway, Switzerland, and New Zealand. There were three singles off of this one. One, the biggest one, obviously, hit number 35 on the Billboard Hot 100 and top five in four other countries. Now, Sean went with Blackened, Coach Fisher went with one, and Kevin Hackett went with Harvester of Sorrow. Brian, what have you got? So Injustice for All is easily my favorite Metallica album of all time. It's the first one that I purchased with my own money. And when we went to the mall to pick it up, they didn't have it on cassette. And I was really upset about that. In hindsight, it was a blessing in disguise because my mom so kindly offered to kick in an extra $2 to buy me one blank 90-minute cassette 
and let me buy the album on vinyl instead, which I still have. Now the cover is framed in my basement and I still have the vinyl to this. The original pressing, the original, uh, the original pressing of the album, and I will never get rid of it. It's one of my most prized vinyl albums. I absolutely love this album. Picking a top song between songs like Eye of the Beholder, the title track, Dyer's Eve. Man, those are all amazing tracks. Obviously, one is so musical. I mean, the kick drum becomes a musical instrument in this song where everybody knows if you play that kick drum leading into the heavy part, any metal fan knows exactly what's going to happen. And that's something where I know a lot of people like to rip on Lars, but he's a very musical drummer. His drums are memorable. They play to the song, and it that's one of the biggest examples there. However, my favorite Metallica song is on this album, and it is the one Metallica song I have never seen live, so I am putting it into the universe tonight on There Can Only Be One with the hopes that this August I finally get to see Blackened performed live. Hell, guys, you named a whiskey after it. Play the song every night. It's the best song you've ever recorded on what I feel is your best album. Bass be damned with that whole situation. I actually don't mind the mix. I was not sitting there in 1989 listening to this on the album saying there there should be more bass. I was just getting lost in these amazing songs. So for me, it all lives and dies by the opening track, Blackened. I love the pick. Absolutely love the pick. And, you know, I, I can't say anything about, you know, bass not being in the mix because, you know, I, I, I'll i be honest, my, the first cassette that my first band ever put out, there, there wasn't much bass in the mix there. So I'd, I'd be hypocritical to point out any el- anyone else's album to say <laughs> that. And I'm the bassist and I said that, but here we go. I, I have to go with one off of this one. Okay. You always remember your first experience with, you know, really connecting with a band and i'm sure like you with mtv i would come home from school and pop on much music and watch the videos and i'd have vhs tapes full of music videos that were basically music video mixtapes uh fitting sees how you're on the show and i remember the video for one when i first mm-hmm. saw it and it's just like this is something i've never seen to this level before. I mean, yeah, I you know, you, you see, you, you remember the old Iron Maiden videos where it's just like a lot of stock footage put together to and cut to the beat and that was their music video. Here was something yep. where they combined, you know, the, the, the footage of the band in black and white, ma- you know, matching the black and white of the film footage. Like, it was a story. It was one of the first times where you saw this dramatic matching tonality between band and and footage story and it works so well and to this day i still think it's one of their best videos even in its simplicity in the editing and the camera stylings you know not every video has to have like that 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 stroby blurry kind of effect that the enter sandman video had this was a very simply shot video but it was still super effective. So as a music lover and as a as a as a TV guy, I absolutely appreciate just just the art behind both aspects of this song. It's one for me. And on the video I will also chime in. It's that black and white video, but it also has this weird bluish tint 
if I remember watching it growing up, I'm not sure if they've restored it in 4K, but there was this blue hue that kind of, it's almost like a piece of film was sitting over it. And it gives it that color, which really gave it this harrowing, sad effect to just what would be a regular black and white video. So brilliant execution. And I obviously could have easily picked this one as well because this is the song that made me want to go out and buy Injustice for All. So absolutely nothing against the, the album, uh, nothing against the song at all. Yeah, and it's funny. When I think about, and you know me, I'm, I'm a massive Queensryche fan. When you think about 1988, you know, you had this album and you had Operation Mind Crime Out. Like, metal fans were getting served in 1988 and that was the kind of like the year where it's like you discover these bands then you backtrack and you you find all these previous albums and uh, just a smorgasbord of good metal from the 80s mm-hmm. but now we move to the 90s and the black album the first album with bob rock producing released august 12th 1991 it hit number one in eight countries all right get your calculators out get your abacus out because this album is 16 times platinum in the US. It's diamond in Canada, 13 times platinum in Australia, 12 times platinum in New Zealand, four times platinum in Switzerland and Germany, triple platinum in Britain, Norway, and platinum in Sweden. There were five singles off of this one. Enter Sandman hit number 16 on the Billboard Hot 100 and only hit number one in Germany. For the awards, this album won the Catalog Album of the Year at the 1999 Billboard Music Awards. It won Best Metal Performance for the the entire album, 1992 at the Grammys. At the MTV VMAs, Enter Sandman won Best Heavy Metal Hard Rock Video. Now, to the Twitter and Spoutable chime-ins. Becky A. went with Through the Never, although her mother picked Nothing Else Matters. Jen the Muse picked Nothing Else Matters. Joe Don't You Know went with Ender Sandman. Sean Faust went with Of Wolf and Man. And both Coach Fisher and Kevin Hackett went with Sad But True. Now, we've talked about this album before on the Playlist War Songs of 1991 album. So now I have to throw this out at you. Which song do you have? This is another tough one. I'll be perfectly honest. I love this album. I understand why some old school Metallica fans might not. But this is where I was really becoming my own musical person. I kind of was forging my own musical identity. And 91 was a great friggin' year to do that in. Because there's that meme that's out there that shows all the albums that were released in 1991 within a few weeks of each other between Pearl Jam's 10, Blood Sugar, Sex Magic, um, Soundgarden, Bad Motor Finger, Metallica's Black Album. It's just what an unbelievable time for music. And obviously, I love Enter Sandman. I got nothing against it. I love Sad But True. I love The Unforgiven. The God That Failed, that opening bass line. Oh my God, this album is so massive. The reason why Nickelback's music is recorded the way it is is because I have a feeling since album one, Nickelback said, take the sound on the Black Album, that's what we want. Those ma- I have never heard drums sound more massive than the Black Album. And the fact that they haven't repeated that drum sound every album since, and they even went as far as the drum sound on St. Anger, which I'm sure we'll talk about, 
this album is like the pinnacle of drum, big bombastic drum sounds to me. The God That Failed was a close number two. And I think the reason I'm going with number one is because as much as I love the other songs I mentioned, there's a bit of overkill in these songs for me because having seen them live, the singles are always the ones that are played in concert. So I feel a little, I don't want to say tired of them, but to be perfectly honest, if there's 70,000 people at the stadium and I know they're closing with Enter Sandman, as soon as they hit that open E, we're going to start working our way towards the car because it's not worth an extra hour and a half in concert traffic. However, my number one, I am 100% agreeing with Becky with the thrashiest song on the album, Through the Never. As I mentioned on that Playlist Wars episode, uh, this is the song, and I think this is actually our first matchup here for this episode, Through the Never. Second. Oh, second, that's right, that's right, sorry. Um, Yeah, no, it's, uh, I remember sitting down when I got my, when I bought my first bass guitar and trying to figure out, because I had bought the, you know, Guitar World, you know, five Metallica songs, learn how to play them kind of thing, and trying to <laughs> learn how to do this song. I, I, I'm not going to lie. I, I, I read the tabs. Not going to lie. Didn't do it by ear. I'm, I'm that geek. But it's, <laughs> you know, again, as, as I mentioned, I'm a Queensryche fan. And this song reminded me so much of The Needle Lies off of Operation Mindcrime. And, oh, and at this yeah. point in my life, I was like full bore into Queensryche. So when Through the Never comes out and it's like, oh crap, this song sounds like this. I, I, have, to, I have to learn this song now. It's such a killer song. And it, it's not exactly the hardest, but it, you know, it's fast. And I don't play with a pick. So I was really, you know, getting my fingers all knotted up in pretzels. Thanks, Jason Newstead. But <laughs> absolutely loves. And I think you're right, too, in that this album is so overplayed for all the right reasons. It's a great album, but you can hear songs too much. And that's all it is to me. Because to be honest, they named a movie and live album after this song, Through the Never. And I don't think I've ever seen Through the Never Live either. So if they decide they want to break that out uh, after they play Blackened, of course, I'll be okay with it. All right. Now let's move on to, as we like to call them, the haircut years. And starting with Load. <laughs> Released June 4th, 1996. This album hit number one uh, everywhere. Let's just say it's everywhere. Five times platinum in the U.S., four times in Canada, double platinum in Australia, and platinum in Britain, Sweden, Finland, and Norway. There were four singles off of this one. Until It Sleeps was the first time they had a number one single on the mainstream rock charts. Hero of the Day also hit number one. At the MTV VMA Awards for this album cycle, Until It Sleeps won the Best Hard Rock Video. Coach Fisher went with Hero of the Day, and Kevin ended up picking King Nothing. So off of Load, what do you have? Here's what I'll say about Load. Everybody rips on this album. The haircuts, everything else. Load, to me, is Metallica's nod to Black Sabbath. Taking what they learned. Yes. Taking what they learned on the Black Album, combining it with their love of Black Sabbath's bluesy hard rock and kind of forging it forward. So I actually truly love this album. I'll tell a funny story. At this point, albums were released on Tuesdays. 
my buddy and I were heading down to Six Flags Great Adventure to go on some rides and hang out with our buddies down there. And we were meeting them at like 1 p.m. So we left the house early and we said, oh, let's stop at the Meadowlands Fair and walk around for a while. So we were walking around and all of a sudden we passed one of the music stores in the area had a booth there. And we're looking through CDs and all of a sudden I see a copy of Load. And I turn to the guy and I say, um, are you supposed to have this out? And he looked at me and he goes, oh, that's Tuesdays. Nope, I'm not. He goes, but if you won't tell anybody, I won't tell anybody. And I coughed up that 15 bucks so fast. We cranked this album all the way down, told my buddies about it, sat in the parking lot after we got out of the theme park and listened to the album, all of us together. Then my buddy and I hopped in the car and drove back and listened to it again. So there's always that. We heard it three days before <laughs> everybody else did day that we had with this album. So I do love the album. I love the picks that came in. Hero of the Day, brilliant song, King Nothing. What a killer bass line. I always like warming up with that. Jason Newstead's one of my favorite bass players. He's got just such a feel to him. I mean, then you think about songs like The Outlaw Torn. What a great closing track. But for me... The be-all, end-all on this album is a song that I actually have seen live on the Summer Sanitarium Tour. And to me, one of their most underrated slower songs, I'm going with Bleeding Me. Ooh, that's a that's a good, good track. When you said, oh, that opening bass line, man. It's just so fantastic. When you said slower, I thought you might be going with Mama Said, which is also a really, really good song. But That's a great one. Yeah. I had never really put the the Black Sabbath take on this album until this episode. And when you mentioned the Law Torn, I'm like, yeah, no, I could easily see how that slower, for lack of a better term, sludgier sound out Law Torn uh, would very much fit into the Black Sabbath discography. However, you mentioned leading songs off of the album and Ain't My Bitch. It's such a good song. I, I I I tossed and turned on this one. Outlaw Torn was up there. Two by four is actually a really great bluesy jam as well. Yep, but, that's but, where I hear the Sabbath too. Oh yeah, but ain't my bitch again. It's one of those songs where I lost track of the number of times I put this song on a mix CD or on a mixtape and put it in the car and say, "All right, we're going." I don't know where we're going, but we're going. They have so many good songs like that. Just great driving songs. Like, as as, as thrashy and as musically talented as they are, they're driving songs. Absolutely. Can't, can't get enough of Ain't My Bitch. And even to this day, when you think about it, that album is, doing the math here, was it 27? Yeah, 27 years old now. Whew. Getting old. But that song yeah, still. Yeah, it's 27, 27 years and three days old for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure rub that into everybody. But uh, <laughs> but the thing is, if a band were to come out with Ain't My Bitch Now, it would hit number one. It's such a good song. Mm-hmm. Like a band like Nickelback or a band like Godsmack, if they came out with Ain't My Bitch today, it would be on every single rock radio station. It's that 100%. good. 100%. It is, it, and I'm surprised they don't play it more often, to be honest. I saw it on the 
poor touring me tour in 97 when they went out with corrosion of conformity and I saw them back to back nights and they played it both nights and that was the last I saw it so I'm really glad I got to see it all right we now move on to the sister of that album reload released November 18th 1997 the album hit number one in seven countries including the U.S. It is triple platinum in the U.S., double platinum in Australia and Canada, and platinum in Sweden, Finland, and Switzerland. There were four singles off of this one. The Unforgiven 2 hit number two on the mainstream rock charts. At the Grammys in 1999, Better Than You won the Best Metal Performance Award. Coach Fisher went with The Memory Remains and Kevin picked Fuel. So what have you got, Brian? This is an album for me where... I feel like like Use Your Illusion 1 and 2 for Guns N' Roses. On part 2, you started seeing examples of why it might have worked as a single album. I'm not going to say I hate it, but this album I did not gravitate to as much as Load. I felt like Load consistently was more of a consistently strong listen where there's some dips in this album for me personally. I'm not a fan of the sequel, Unforgiven 2. It, it, you're right, it kind of sounds like it. I, see, that to me feels like a leftover. Kind of the way that Guns N' Roses did the alternate lyrics of Don't Cry. Eh, okay. I mean, they did write a new song with new lyrics and a new melody, but it sounded way too much like the Unforgiven. And kind of the on-the-nose, the Unforgiven 2, to me, just... Det- distracted me from the song let me just say i went with the memory remains to me i talked about that sabbathy sound that was existing on these albums and this that one leads into that and i love marianne faithful's haunting vocals almost sounds like a just like someone on their deathbed and it just you feel it and it works so well and that's another kind of call and response thing when they play this live where the whole crowd sings that makes the hair on my arm stand up but there are other fantastic songs on reload i like fuel lyrically i know it gets picked on a lot but musically it's great and low man's lyric were up there for me but i had to go with the memory remains you know it's funny as as I'm looking at the track listing and there there were there were songs that I was juggling and I completely agree with you um, we take a look at Use Your Illusion 1 and 2, and you could even say the same thing, too, about uh, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness in that double album. Uh, there were enough songs to make one phenomenal album and then maybe release the others as B-sides on singles, uh, and that would be fine. But there are still some gems on this one. I originally had one song on here, and I'm just like, yeah, but I really, really like this other song. So I'm actually... <sighs> I'm calling the audible on my own damn list and I'm switching a song here from what I wrote down. I originally had fuel written down and Batsy was also in the, in the mix, but then I look, I'm like, Oh wait, I forgot about Carpe Diem baby, Mm -hmm. which is uh, again, you can see how that one would fit into that Sabbathy type vibe as well. And yep. I completely agree with you on Unforgiven too. I was fine with the song until you get to the the end because you're Unforgiven too. It's like, oh, you did a roll credits moment in your own damn song. <laughs> oh, 
he, he, he didn't have take but that the thing take, is it's un, but lyrically he's saying two like t-o-o like teen wolf two that's the part where they where they put the two like number two in the song title he's actually saying because you're unforgiven two like t-o-o so to me i've always referred to the song as the unforgiven t-o-o which always <laughs> makes me chuckle from a teen wolf perspective but the thing with Carpe Diem, baby, is it's it's not that overplayed either. You know, with Fuel, you had not not only you know covers. You know, uh, I still remember like Alvaro Levine coming out and doing that song as well. Like, it's a great song, absolutely. But Carpe Diem, baby, for me, just has the right groove to it. Before we move on, I want to give you the moment here to tell us a little bit about my weekly mixtape. Well, my weekly mixtape is a Ahem, weekly music show that I put out. I made sure to kind of set myself up for that one by including it in the title, where each week I do what I did when I was growing up, which was get together with my friends and create mixtapes. And in this show, I am lucky enough to be able to do something similar to that. However, it's both with my friends, fellow podcasters, and sometimes the musicians themselves building mixtapes based on either a band an artist, or a topic, whether it be a genre or something made up like songs you would play at a cookout or barbecue, only instead of actually talking about the music you'd listen to, we talk about the foods you'd eat and create a musical playlist based on food types. And then we do some more serious shows. I've been blessed enough to have Artists from the Billy Joel band, Liberty DeVito, the drummer for Billy Joel. I've had Will Turpin from Collective Soul and Bill Gibson from Huey Lewis in the News, Lawrence Gowan of Sticks. They all come on to talk about their band's music, which to me, from a fan plus band perspective, it makes such a really fun dynamic. And it's just something that I get to still continue to do something that truly made me happy as a kid, which was creating mixtapes with my friends. And now we do it discussion form as a podcast okay i'm, I'm going to ask you a quick question here and no it's not going to be what does a mixtape mean to you um because you know, <laughs> I've, I've heard that question before but a I'm couple gonna, times <laughs> right but but let me ask you what has is tougher for you going through and narrowing down what song is going to be next in the mixtape or looking at an album and only picking one song it's equally as tough because when i was sitting and making mixtapes as a kid I always tried to keep myself to that one song per band thing because whenever I was with my buddies, if there was a band they liked, I kind of wanted to always try to keep the music in the same style so that way maybe I can introduce them to new bands and they would do the same for me in return. So I kind of like that rule now on the show. However, it all depended for me as I was making the mixtape where the vibe was going. So I might have said, I'm going to put these two songs on there. And then I would start, as I was recording it, I would get to that point and be like, man, with these other songs that I heard before, I need to go with this other one instead because it just works better for this mix. And yes, folks, even at 10 and 12 years old, I was that much of a nerd. Well, that just means the mixtapes are that damn good. And so is the podcast. So listeners, if you haven't had a chance to go listen to my weekly mixtape, you know, run, don't walk, all right? Go listen to the show. It is so much fun, and you will find yourself playing along with the show while you're listening. It's going to happen. I, I You have, you. there's no choice. You will do it. Resistance is futile. 
<laughs> hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica report. And you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. But now let's get back to Metallica here and kind of in your wheelhouse because we're about to talk about Garage Inc. Released November 24th, 1998. It hit number two in the U.S. and number one in Finland, Germany, Norway, and Sweden. It is five times platinum in the U.S., platinum in Australia, Sweden, and New Zealand. There were three singles off of this one. Turn the Page hit number one on the mainstream rock charts. And Whiskey in the Jar won the best hard rock performance Grammy in the year 2000. So off of this covers album, because I know you love your covers, what have you got? Oh, this album's so good, man. Again, I talked about being able to see this show on MTV the night it was released. It was so amazing. I mean, my God, such fantastic tracks on this. Again, introducing me to bands I had not heard before. I did not know who Discharge was going into this album. I was not truly big into bands like Blue Oyster Cult, except for like Don't Fear the Reaper and Burning for You. But even Thin Lizzy, I wasn't big into. My father was obviously a fan of them. When he heard Whiskey in the Jar, that was like a way for us to bond musically. However, for me, as much as I love Turn the Page, when Metallica gets accompanied by Pepper Keenan, who is the lead singer of Corrosion of Conformity, Jerry Cantrell and Sean Kinney of Alice in Chains, Jim Martin of Faith No More, John Popper of Blues Traveler, Gary Rossington of Leonard Skinnerd, and Les Claypool of Primus, along with Metallica, acoustically covering Leonard Skinnerd's Tuesday's Gone. There's just too much musical firepower on that one track to not include it on this list. And the funniest part, Les Claypool does not play bass. He plays banjo on the track. That's a little fun fact for you. That song is one of those moments where you just wish you were there when they recorded it. Because you can just imagine how that session probably came about. And just, you know, being in a room like that would just be, you know, musical ecstasy. And that and Tuesday's Gone was one of the songs I really had a hard time uh, weeding out. Uh, it's electric was also another song that I had considered. However, apparently I have a thing for when Metallica covers the misfits. So their cover of (laughs) die, die, my darling, you know, it's a happy song, right? Um, again, this was one of those things where you get introduced to songs you'd never heard before from bands you weren't that familiar with. And the same power that they put into last caress, die, die, my darling, uh, again, chant in a room full of people chanting die die it's it's normal in a metallica episode here (laughs) but you're right like this album there are certain cover albums where you sit there you said it yourself they're okay they're okay 
This may be one of the best front to back all covers albums of all time. Like it's hard to think of one that tops the the quality of this album. Of course. And then you also get the 590 ADP that we discussed earlier on disc two. You got those two songs from the Kill 'em All re-release of it, it, they put uh, Am I Evil and Blitzkrieg on here. I had all the CD singles from the Black Album. I was that much of a music nerd. I always bought the CD singles. So I already had Bread Fan, The Prince, Stone Cold Crazy, So What, and Killing Time. And I also had the Hero of the Day CD singles. So I had all the motor headaches. So to me, Disc 2 was all stuff I had already owned. But to people that didn't get all of those overseas releases, this is the perfect way to get them all. I wish I had known in time. I probably would have just waited. Mm-hmm. And when you think about, you know, Garage Days Revisited, it's an EP. So you only had like five songs on there. You know, you, you think about back to some of the other all covers EPs, like Skid Row's Beside Ourselves is a great covers EP, but it's oh, only yeah. five songs. But to have a full album of just bangers all the way through or just, you know, just musical ear candy. You know, with a song like Tuesday's Gone, it's as a full length, all covers album. I'd be curious if like a Rolling Stone ever did a, a, a top 10 list of the best covers, full length albums. Would this one be at number one? It might be for me. I know what album is not number one for a lot of people. However, that's St. Anger released in 2003, June 5th of that year. At this point, Jason Newstead is out of the band. It's Bob Rock actually playing bass on the CD. Robert Trujillo joined after the CD was done. The album hit number one in eight countries. It is double platinum in the US, Australia, Canada, and New Zealand, and platinum in Sweden, Finland, Norway, and Switzerland. There were four singles off of this one. St. Anger, the title track, hit number two on the mainstream rock charts. At the Grammys, the song won Best Metal Performance at 2004. Kevin Hackett went with Frantic. Now, I know people are going to talk about the snare drum on this album. I personally don't have a, a, a problem with it, mainly because it reminds me of the debut album from Our Lady Peace. Producer Arnold Lanny, who worked on that album, had a very, almost like a signature uh, snare sound and it's very similar to the St. Anger sound. He also produced Finger Eleven's debut album and that also had that that sharp snare drum sound. So I get it. I understand. And I know the band was going through a lot. Anyone who's seen uh, the documentary at the time, Some Kind of Monster, knows what they were going through at the time. There's still some good stuff on this album. What did you go with? This is one of those albums where the first time I listened to it all the way through, I was taken back by the snare sound, but it did come with a DVD and it was the band performing the album in the studio live. And believe it or not, I actually like that mix better than the studio version. However, we're talking about the studio versions here. And I told you Metallica knows how to open an album. So I'm going to agree with the chime in and go with frantic. It is probably the strongest song on the album. And the one that if I saw them play it live now, I wouldn't be like, Oh man, you're wasting 
precious Metallica concert time on stuff you could be playing elsewhere, I'd be okay with them playing Frantic if we saw them live. So I'm going to go with Frantic. I, I have to agree. Uh, again, we match up on this one here. This album was actually very easy to pick from because while there are there is some good stuff on there, nothing stands out off the album quite like Frantic does. And you're right. It it kills live, even to this day. And I think even people who were critical of the album and how it sounded still can get up for this song. And you know, you're right. If they play it live today, people will still you know, mosh to it or, or whatever you're going to do in a Metallica mosh pit right at this point. We now move on to Death Magnetic, and we had to wait a while for it, five years to be precise. Released September 12th, 2008. This is the first album to feature Robert Trujillo, and now Rick Rubin is producing the album. It hit number one everywhere. It's double platinum in US, Sweden, and Finland, triple platinum in Australia, quadruple platinum in Canada, and platinum in Britain, Switzerland and New Zealand. There were three singles off of this one. The Day That Never Comes and Cyanide both hit number one on the mainstream rock charts. And My Apocalypse won the best metal performance Grammy at the 2009 Grammys. Kevin ended up picking All Nightmare Long, and I'm not going to lie, I agree with him. That song is so, so good. And you, you know me, I like my music videos. The music video for this song is creepy af like it's so cool but creepy as hell but adds to the vibe and let, let, let's get this out there i don't know about you the album sounds a little brick wall to me but i think it actually works for all nightmare long but off of death magnetic what did you go with i'm laughing because you talked about the brick wall i'll be honest the version of this album that I have to listen to is the Guitar Hero 3 mix that's available on YouTube if you search it because the mix is so brick-walled on the original CD, it actually, my ears get fatigued. But the problem is I love this album. And if it wasn't for the fact that they had the Unforgiven 3 on it, it would probably be my second favorite Metallica album. I kid you not as much as I love master of puppets and ride the lightning. This album just hit at the time for me musically where every song just resonated with me except for the unforgiven three. I'm surprised he didn't actually say three in the song. It just, there's a song on beyond magnetic that we're going to get to shortly that for me, had they swapped them out, it would be my second place Metallica album so we'll, we'll get to that but for me Metallica knows how to open an album and when I saw them in 2009 at the Prudential Center in Newark they opened with this track and hearing it live for the first time just blew me away and that was just your life is the song I'm starting with coming back from St. Anger the song builds like battery with the opening and it feels fresh and it feels like a nod to the past as well as moving forward musically at the same time. So that was just your life. One of the things that I found fascinating uh, when I was doing the ACDC episode with, uh, with Gomez mm -hmm. was the longer the time between the albums, the more ready the fans were to listen to it. And I think the five year difference between St. Anger and death magnetic 
really added to that 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 need for Metallica fans to hear new stuff, and they did. Like they killed it. I I agree with you. I'm so glad they didn't come up with "But You're Unforgiven Three. Yeah, no. right. I just <laughs> as much again. It's the same progression. There's a song on Beyond Magnetic that if you swap them out, the album level goes up even higher. So we'll just get to that soon. But before we get to that, though, Ugh. Brian, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm just going to apologize right now. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so sorry. Listeners, I'm so sorry. Because we're about to talk about Lulu. Their collaboration album that they did with Lou Reed. Released November 1st, 2011, the album hit number 36 in the U.S. and went top 10 in Finland and Sweden. According to Wikipedia, the album has a worldwide sales total of only 280,000. There was one single off of this one. The song is called The View. I'm going to pull up the bleep button and I'm going to say, what the f*** is up with this album? (laughs) I want to argue with you slightly here. Okay. When Pearl Jam guested on Neil Young's Mirror Ball, nobody ever puts that in the Pearl Jam discography. Pearl Jam is just backing up Neil Young for that album. Even though it was called just Neil Young, all Metallica's doing is being the Pearl Jam to Neil Young only this time for Lou Reed. They're his backing band. I don't consider this Metallica canon. I consider this a collaboration. And yeah, this is tough. This was a tough listen today. I had to listen to the whole album just to make sure I was picking the right song. And it's it's a tough listen. I, I'm not a massive Lou Reed fan. I respect him. But... Mm. So I had to go with the song that blew me away the most that you possibly could on this album. And I went with Dragon mainly because it is the heavier, it is one of the heavier riffs on the album and the guitar solo in it as manic and kind of choppy as it is. I really enjoyed that musical section. So I'm going with Dragon. I was telling a friend today about recording this episode with you tonight. And he said, well, who, who are you covering? I said, Metallica. He's like, oh, cool. I'm like, yeah, yeah we're even doing the Lulu album. He's like, what's Lulu? So, oh, so, so yeah, uh, I went and I, I started playing the album for him. The very first song, Brandenburg Gate. You know, and it starts okay. And then, you know, Metallica kicks in. And then you could see the, the, the look on his face change from, okay, okay. Oh, dear God. What is this? <laughs> but I, I, I try to. I try. I, I know I, I don't like being negative. I, I know you don't like being negative when it comes to talking music, but this may be, and I guess it depends on what you're expecting going into this. But if you're expecting Metallica, this is going to be the worst album you ever heard. Right, but if you go into this a Lou Reed fan and expecting a Lou Reed album... I think you look at it in a completely different way, but me not being a massive Lou Reed fan, I've always just looked at this album as, hey, Metallica's playing as a backing band, but don't go into this looking for Metallica. You're not going to find it. So about halfway through the album, I changed my mindset. And I'm like, I'm, 
I'm going to forget who's doing this, the album. I'm going to forget about Lou Reed. I'm going to forget about Metallica. And I'm going to try and picture this as more of a uh, weird dystopian concept album. And it's and it started to make a little bit of sense. And you could you could almost get into some of the songs at and in, in that mindset. Almost. Almost. <laughs> almost. Let, 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 let's not go full Lulu here, okay? Uh, it's an almost. But, I mean, Cheat On Me isn't bad if you're in that mindset, but I would say as a whole, I think the song Iced Honey probably stands out the most. This this feels the most like a song you could hear either artists do and actually get away with it. Um, but you, ha- you have to be in a headspace, and I'm sure it probably has to be extra medicated for this album. But if you <laughs> if you are in that headspace and you do appreciate that, I really want to hear from someone who thinks Lulu is a great album. I, I would love to hear their reasoning behind it because I'm, I'm not... I'm not throwing this album out the window and burning it like like it's some satanic device or anything. I'm just I'd be curious to hear a fan talk about it and see their point of view. I would too because again, I would highly assume that the fan that wrote into you is a big Lou Reed fan and is taking it from the Lou Reed perspective. That would be my guess. Mhm. Or they just really really like songs that you probably wouldn't hear on the radio. I am the table? No. (laughs) Well, let's move on to Beyond Magnetic, the EP that was released December 13th, 2011. The album hit number 29 in the U.S. and number two in Finland. Uh, This four-song EP, what did you have? Well, I told you there was going to be a song that I would want to replace the Unforgiven 3 with. And when I listened through Beyond Magnetic, I was so stoked when this came out because I loved Death Magnetic so much. And Hate Train, Just a Bullet Away, Hell and Back, I said, oh, these are these are good songs. These are good songs. Uh, I can understand why they didn't make the final cut, but they're still good. They're solid. Rebel of Babylon? Holy shit. How did this not make the album? And why isn't Unforgiven 3 on Beyond Magnetic? I, I just, I don't get it. Rebel of Babylon? is a fantastic song that when you swap those two songs out, it makes Death Magnetic a better album. I'd be curious if you ever took, you know, Metallica's discography and rather than do like a a recast type of episode where, you know, people like recast roles in a movie, we're going to reorder the songs. I'm going to put the song here and this song here based on songs that were released around the same time. You know, there are, there are B sides that are out there for certain bands where you're like, why was this not on the full length album? Mm hmm. Beyond Magnetic has some of those songs. I completely agree. Hate Train for me is the one I went with, though. Okay. Again, okay. Good opening song, decent riff all the way through. You know, it was a bit of a harder album for me to get into, but Hate Train still stands out for me. It's a great track. I mean, look, it, I I understand why it didn't make Death Magnetic. Lyrically, it doesn't have the more somber facing lyrics. It's a little well, Hate Train. It. it Lyrically, to me, it felt a little more, and I don't want to say this in a negative way, but kind of generic lyrically, where I feel like Rebel of Babylon kind of falls into the little bit more mystique with the lyrics where it would fit with other songs on Death Magnetic. So it's not a diss on the song, I promise you. I mean this, like musically, I think the track is great. I just, lyrically, it didn't sit with me as much, which is why I didn't include that one. 
I can see that. And you, you can probably see from a lyrical standpoint why some of these songs maybe didn't make Death Magnetic for sure. But now we have another five-year wait for Hardwire to Self-Destruct. Released November 18th, 2016. It hit number one in nine different countries. It is platinum in the U.S. and Sweden and double platinum in Germany and triple platinum in Canada. There were five singles off of this one. Both Hardwired and Atlas Rise hit number one on the mainstream rock charts. At the Billboard 2017 Music Awards, the album won top rock album that year. Coach Fisher went with Moth into a Flame and Kevin Hackett picked Hardwired. What did you go with? This is tough. I first wanted to ask a question to anybody who's a Metallica fan or to Metallica if they're listening. Disc one and disc two of Hardwired to Self-Destruct came in at 77 minutes and 42 seconds, meaning it's shorter than the Load album. Load is the longest album in Metallica's discography because it tracked in at 78 minutes and 59 seconds. And it fit on one CD. Why did they split Hardwired into two CDs? Because it counts as two units sold for each album? Because it would fit on a single CD. So I've always wondered that. The Deluxe Edition had some fantastic cover songs on it. We talked about cover songs before. An Iron Maiden cover, Remember Tomorrow, and that Ronnie Rising melody or Ronnie Rising medley from Rainbow. Really, really awesome. But for me, I know I crapped on Unforgiven 2 and 3. When you're going to do a song that feels like another song, you want it to tell its own story, but still feel like a perfect sequel. And in this instance, they did it. And I'm, I'm, I'm really tied here, but... Spit Out the Bone is one of my favorite songs on the album, but just, just slightly being edged out by the closing track on disc one, Halo on Fire, which to me, I talked about my love for Bleeding Me. Halo on Fire to me feels like the sequel to Bleeding Me. So that's why I went with that one. Almost the spiritual sequel. I I, I feel like I'm about to make the another Queensryche reference, so... Bear with me on this one here. How um, Screaming in Digital off of Rage for Order is almost probably the, um, for like a term, spiritual sequel to NM156 off of The Warning. Um, Mm -hmm. There were, you know, you do have spiritual sequels and, you know, bands will do that and sneak that in. And, you know, the, the ones who are really listening are like, okay, okay, I can see what you're doing there. I see what you're doing there. Um, I, I honestly don't know why they did it as a two disker. I don't. It's, I'm baffled now. The, th- the thing is, though, this is 2016. And, you know, as as you go through the, the years and the decades, you see, you know, the, the how many times an album is platinum is decreasing. And it's, it's sad to see because, you know, physical media, you know, I've lost track of the number of times I've hopped on Spotify and, you know, went to go listen to an album. It's like, oh, that's the only album of that artist that isn't on Spotify and it happens mm-hmm. to be one of my favorites. And then you just like, let me get let me get those books, the CDs out and see if I still have the disc kicking around somewhere and find a couple of AA batteries, put them in my discman or, oh, hey, it's it's actually on cassette. Where's my yellow Sony Walkman, which I still have. 
and it still works. Um, <laughs> I ended up going with Moth into Flame off this one here. Nice. More, okay. Not just the fact that it's a great song, but there was something about that Grammy's performance of that song with Lady Gaga. Like, it's, you have to think that Lady Gaga's a, a bit of a metalhead. And I know she has, oh, yeah. you know, Anthrax has talked about wanting to, to do a song with her as well. And if Lady Gaga ever did a metal album, it would slay. It would absolutely slay. But Moth into Flame, it's almost a perfect song. It's got everything you want out of a Metallica album or a Metallica song, and it's still being done. And I'm just going to do the math here from the from the from from 1983 to oh, do the math here. 33 years later, and they're still able to write songs that would that sound as fresh or would have sounded as fresh back then today and again just shows how much special sauce they have in their writing we now get to 72 seasons their most recent album released april 14th of 2023 hit number two in the u.s and number one in eight other countries there were four singles off of this one lux eterna and 72 seasons both hit number one on the mainstream rock charts kevin went with 72 seasons but what did you go with I love 72 Seasons, so I want to give a shout-out to Kevin on that pick. I feel like If Darkness Had a Sun was a spiritual sequel, like we talked about, to Eye of the Beholder, musically at least. Maybe not lyrically, but musically, I had that feeling to it. But for me, I started the night off with Hit the Lights, and I feel like the perfect bookend is the song they kicked off the album's announcement with, the first single, Lux Eterna. There's just something about it that I feel like is the perfect exclamation point when you start looking at my playlist from start to finish. Kill them all with Hit the Lights, 72 Seasons with Lux Eterna. I remember when this song first came out and they put the video out and you you had put a tweet out there asking for people's takes on it. And one of the comments that you said, and it really hit me on this, is like, James Hetfield is singing like he's got something to prove on that mm-hmm. song. And when you get to the chorus, and you're right, like there is a renewed vigor with this song. There, Admittedly, there are some songs off of this album that feels like uh, a couple of great riffs off of like riff tapes that are scotch taped together to form a song. But I do think Lux Eterna really stands out as one of their most fierce songs of the last 15 years. Like, younger bands are sitting there looking at that song going, holy crap, they're on the Red Bull, it's great. This shows that that even with their increasing age, they could still slay with the best of them. Remember, this is 40 years, 4-0, 40 years after Kill Em All. And to have the same tenacity as Hit the Lights, regardless of age, speaks volumes. No pun intended. All right. So now comes the toughest part of all. So, Brian, I'm going to get you to oh, go. Uh, th- dumb question. Did you did you also pick Lux Eterna? Oh, sorry. I, 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 sh- I should have been much more clear on that one. Hells, yes, I went with Lux Eterna. It is a okay. solid song. <laughs> Holy crap. Like. Honestly, like I, I know how long I've been playing, and I don't know if I've got the kind of energy that they have in Lux Eterna. It is killer. And I, you know, if I get a chance to catch them on, on this touring cycle, I'm waiting 
for that song. But now we get to the hardest part of the show. So, Brian, I'm going to get you to go through your list. And then, if there can only be one song, which one is it? All right. I kick things off with Kill 'Em All, Hit the Lights, from Ride the Lightning, Creeping Death, from Master of Puppets, Damage Incorporated, from Garage Days, Re-Revisited, the 998 CD, Last Caress, Green Hell, from Man Justice for All, Blackened, from Metallica, Through the Never, from Load, Bleeding Me, from Reload, The Memory Remains, from Garage Inc., Tuesday's Gone, from Saint Anger, Frantic, from Death Magnetic, That Was Just Your Life, from Lulu, Dragon, from Beyond Magnetic, Rebel of Babylon, from Hardwired to Self-Destruct, Halo on Fire, and finally from 72 Seasons, Lux Eterna, and my There Could Only Be One is Dragon. No, kidding. (laughs) Is Blackened, my favorite Metallica song of all time from my favorite Metallica album of all time. There Can Only Be One for me. It's the one song I really want to see live this summer, and if I do... I will be sure to tweet you at some point to say it's finally happening. Blackened is my there can only be one Metallica pick. All right. And for me, off of Kill 'em All, I went with Seek and Destroy. From Ride the Lightning, I went with Trapped Under Ice. From Master of Puppets, I went with Battery. Off of Garage Days Re-Revisited, I went with Last Caress, Green Hell. From Injustice for All, I went with One. From Metallica, I went through Through the Never. From Load, I went with Ain't My Bitch. From Reload, I changed my mind and went with Carpe Diem Baby. From Garage Inc., I went with Die, Die, My Darling. From Saint Anger, I got I picked Frantic. From Death Magnetic, I went with All Nightmare Long. From Lulu, I went with Iced Honey. From Beyond Magnetic, I went with Hate Train. From Hardwire to Self-Destruct, I went with Moth into Flame. And I went with Lux Eterna off of 72 Seasons. But if there can only be... One song. Holy crap. That's a good list, though. Like, if that's a Metallica live set list, for me, that might be the best show. But I think I have to go with All Nightmare Long. You're right. Death Magnetic is such a phenomenal standout album. Even though Ride the Lightning may be the album I've listened to the most, and the Black Album may be the album that everyone's listened to the most, Death Magnetic stands out and all nightmare long brick walled mix and all still it, it stands above everything else. It's truly a shame. They're not playing more from that on tour. I have seen cyanide pop up and God, I think that's it. Really? They have not done much from that album. I really hope they, they change that. I will say too, if anyone ever decides to make a, a movie, Based on the All Nightmare Long video, uh, Shudder needs to, to to find a director to do that. It would it would be a phenomenal movie. Brian, thank you so much for going through all of these Metallica albums, 15 of them all. I'm still sorry about Lulu. But before we go, <laughs> please let us know one more time about my weekly mixtape and where we can find you out there on the interwebs. Well, the home for everything My Weekly Mixtape is at myweeklymixtape.com. You can also search My Weekly Mixtape wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're out there on social media, at My Weekly Mixtape on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, 
and Spoutable. Please connect. I love talking music with people, and I hope to be able to talk more music with you, Jason. It's always a pleasure being on. Name the next band. Let's do another one. I absolutely love what you're doing here on the show. So not Lou Reed though, right? Not Lou Reed. Okay. Just just making sure. <laughs> you don't have to listen to Lulu again. It's okay. Brian, anytime, any band, it's all you're always welcome. Now to you, our listeners, you guys know the drill. If there is an artist out there you want us to cover, hit us up on Twitter at OnlyOneCast or go to our website at notthatbadcast.com. Drop us an email and let us know. And while you're at the website, Listen to the playlists that are embedded on the episode page so you can hear the songs that we picked off of this episode and check out the back catalog of previous episodes. There's a lot of music for you to discover. Until next time, Brian, thank you so much. Listeners, you are awesome. This is There Can Only Be One. Take care. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.